Good morning, Moraine Valley Church. It's great to be with you all. And if you're joining us this morning for the first time, last week we began what I'm calling a big bus or red bus tour of the book of John, as we're going to take a look at that the next few weeks in the summer. And last week we took a trip around the whole book and kind of saw the book in a glance and, and kind of got a lay of the land. And today we're going to hop off like you do on those red buses, you hop on and off. We're going to hop off that tour and we're going to look at the area of signs. So I want you to turn to John chapter 20. You're going to see why we're looking at that this morning. Because signs is a big theme in the book of John. Now I want to encourage you this morning, make sure you have a Bible open in front of you on your phone, somebody by you. We have them provided underneath the seats, every couple seats, because we're gonna be looking at God's word this morning. And uh, the good news about that is you're not gonna just, you're not gonna hear Pat's best ideas. You're actually gonna hear God's word. You're gonna hear recorded the words of Jesus himself and what the apostles said about him. So. Um, have a Bible with you this morning, John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. He says this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs have been written, and here's the reason, here's the purpose of this book, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. John wrote this book so that people would be convinced and understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We're gonna jump off there next week. What does it mean to be the Son of God? And that in believing, you might have eternal life. But the vehicle that John uses in this book to bring people to belief are these signs. Look back at verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book, but these signs are written in this book so that you might believe. And so the signs are a gigantic theme in the book of John. And we want to take a look at this morning just what they are. What does it mean? What's it mean to be a sign? Well, if you're driving on the expressway and you're going down 94 and you're at about the halfway point of, uh, between Chicago and Detroit, we see a sign that says uh, Chicago this way, Detroit that way. The sign itself is not Chicago. The sign itself is not Detroit. It points you in the direction of Chicago or Detroit. And that's what a sign does. It's designed to point you to understand something about Jesus. And turn to John chapter 2, because I want John himself to define what a sign is. So we're working off of his understanding and not mine. John chapter 2. In this chapter, we see the story of where uh, Jesus went to a wedding 
and he turned water into wine. An amazing miracle. And this is what John said about this in verse 11 of chapter 2 of the book of John. This, the beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The miracles are equated with signs in the book of John. Jesus' miracles were designed to be signs to point us towards Jesus and who he is and what he does. And we see in this very verse, it manifested his glory. It revealed who he was, this first sign. It revealed some of his nature and who he is, his glory. But it also did what? And his disciples believed in him. They believed because of the sign. They saw the miracle. The miracle is the sign. The sign points me to Jesus, to who he is, and shows me that his glory. And people believed because of what they saw in that sign. Then you come to the end of that chapter in verse 23. And he says this. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he would cause people to believe. These signs were designed to cause people to believe in who Jesus is. Miracles that Jesus did, the one recorded in this book. Here it's, we, we heard about one, but we saw in the end that Jesus did a whole bunch more than what's recorded. And it says here at the end of chapter two, they were observing his signs. They were seeing these miracles that Jesus was doing. And as a result, they believed in him. So this morning, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna show you two simple things. One, signs, the purpose of signs were to prove who Jesus is. That's the first point. Basically, signs were there to certify. They were there to help us be convinced, to prove to us, to point us, to validate for us who Jesus is. That was the purpose of the miracles. And Nicodemus in chapter three, well, I'm gonna to try to keep you somewhat in order with chapters so you don't keep going back and forth. But if you go to chapter three of John, we're gonna see that Nicodemus shows us it's working. Because Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. He, he was one of the great teachers of Israel. Matter of fact, he was the teacher of Israel. And starting in verse one, listen to what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. Well, how do you know that? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Here's Nicodemus showing it's working. <laughs> Here's Nicodemus going, whoa, Jesus, I, I, I don't understand everything here. But one thing I know is that you come from God because of the miracles that you do. It proves it. You know, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon at Pentecost Seem, uh, Peter even helps us see and defines looking back on the life of Jesus that these miracles were for that very purpose. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. 
Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which were performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. The word attested means to show that something is true, to prove it is true. God himself was working miracles through Jesus to prove to people who Jesus is. Peter tells us as well, the apostles themselves and their associates were also validated as God's messenger and their message was validated by the miracles they did. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 12, well, actually, we'll put it up here for you. We're gonna, we'll keep you, for the most part, in John this morning. But in 2 Corinthians 12, it says this, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Here's a sign that you're a true apostle. They did miracles. And that was the purpose there again. That validated them as messengers from God. But we're also gonna see that God, just like he did with Jesus, along with their message, he did miracles and signs along with them to validate their message. Now keep a finger in John, but turn to Hebrews chapter four. This real quickly, and let's take a look at this. Too much to put on an overhead. I said Hebrews chapter four, I meant Hebrews chapter two. Now that you're there, it'll be a lot easier to find chapter two. But Hebrews chapter two, there's gonna be four verses if we look at, that's where I had the four in my mind. But listen to what he says starting in verse one. Hebrews chapter two, verse one. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, he's talking about the Mosaic law and how Moses received the law through angels. And if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just a penny, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken through the Lord, Jesus himself, now he's moved from the Mosaic law and what we heard that was given to Moses through angels to the very gospel that Jesus first spoke of. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. God and those who heard were his disciples, the apostles that walked with him. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. God was testifying again, here we go. You know, the message that came from Jesus was given to his disciples, the apostles, they brought the message and God testified not only with Jesus and attested to the fact that Jesus is who he is, but he also attested by these miracles to the fact that the apostles were messengers of God who were bringing the message of God. 
And so the first thing we see is that miracles were designed by God to prove, to attest, to validate, to verify, to certify, to confirm who Jesus is. And in particular, they were to confirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We see it all over the book. Now, go back to John. I hope you kept a finger there, like I said, because now we're just going to look at a whole bunch of places in John where he shows us these miracles and how they were used to help people understand who Christ was. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember the story? And Jesus told her everything about her life. Now, that's a miracle. Isn't it? Here, here, you know, if, somebody, if you walked up to somebody and they were telling you all about your life and they never met you before, you're like, whoa, what in the world is going on here? And that's what Jesus did with the woman at the well. And so listen to what she said. We're in verse uh, 29 of chapter 4. Come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? You see what it did in her mind? It raised in her thinking, wait a minute. This guy knew everything about my life. Could this be the Christ? Again, these miracles were designed to point people to Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. Chapter 5, we looked at this on Easter Sunday. And Jesus healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. And the man picked up his pallet and walked as Jesus told him to do. But he healed him on the Sabbath. And this really ticked off the, the Jewish leaders. And so when Jesus saw that and the persecution that they were seeking to pursue on him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, Jesus' response is, hey, what's the problem? My father's working till now and I'm working. And then that really got the Jews, moved them from a place of persecuting Jesus to want to killing Jesus because they said, you know what? You are making yourself equal with God by claiming to be his son. And so what did Jesus, Jesus didn't back off, say, oh, oh well, wait a minute, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Let, let's not get all up there. No, Jesus said, you're exactly right. Not only, not only is he my father, am I his son, but you know what? I don't do anything unless it's something that God does. And I do everything that God does, and I do everything the exact same way that God does it. Now, that's a strong claim to be God. To be claim, we're going to see you next week. The claim to be the son of God is claiming to be God. And so here Jesus is, and he, does, he goes on and then talks about all these different things that he does that only God can do, and he does them the same way that God does it. Then when he gets done with that, he says, if you don't believe me, he says, look at the testimonies. Then he starts with John the Baptist and talks about John testified about who he was. And then look at what Jesus says then in verse uh, 67 of chapter Six. I'm sorry, am I in the right place? No, I, I'm sorry. I got notes all over the place. We're chapter 5, verse 36. And 
Listen to what Jesus said. But the testimony which I have is even greater than the testimony of John. For the works, the miracles which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus, again, his first argument starts with, uh, you know, John the Baptist, then he goes into his miracles and he continues on to give further proofs that he is who he is. But these miracles prove to you that I have been sent by the Father. Then we're gonna go to chapter six, where it's the feeding of the 5,000. Again, another miracle. Couple fish, couple loaves, and Jesus takes that and multiplies it and feeds over 5,000 people because it says there were 5,000 men, but there were women and children that were there as well. And so Jesus takes this and does this unbelievable miracle of just multiplying the food that even by the time they got done, they had basketfuls left over. And listen to what the people said in John chapter 6 of verse 14. Therefore... When the people saw the sign, saw the sign, saw the miracle, saw the feeding of the 5,000, which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Once again, here it is. Wow. People are catching it. This sign, it's convincing them. They're proving to them. Jesus is that one who was to come, the prophet. And then Jesus, as he often does in the book of John, after his miracles, he, he does a discourse to explain even further the, the significance of that and what it reveals about him. And this is where Jesus takes and said, you guys follow me because you wanted the bread. He says, I'm the true bread that comes out. I have Moses, or, you know, the, in the Old Testament, Moses brought down the manna that came from heaven. Well, I'm the true manna. I'm the true bread that comes. You eat that bread, you'll be hungry again and need more bread, but you eat me the bread of life that comes down from heaven from the Father, you will never thirst and never hunger again. And as a result of this, many people departed from Jesus because his words were strong because they didn't understand the spiritual significance when Jesus said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They thought he was talking about cannibalism and they said, this, I, this guy's crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. But he was speaking spiritually. He goes on to say, the words I speak are spirit and life. He's saying, you gotta spiritually eat and drink of me. You gotta take me into your life. You need me in your life. And what'll happen, and then, and then it says in verse 67 after this discourse, because the 12 didn't leave, you know, he said to them, aren't you gonna go too? And this was the response of the disciples. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So once again, we see this theme driven over and over in the book of John chapter seven. After the teaching at the Feast of Booths, and look at what in verse 31 of chapter seven, the crowd's response to Jesus' teaching, but many of the crowd believed in him and were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs 
than those which this man has. Will he? So here we go again. The miracles are convincing the crowds. This has got to be the Christ. Jesus has got all these miracles he's doing. This is unbelievable. Only God can do this. He's got to be the Christ. He's got to be the Son of God. You go on to chapter 10. I said this is all over the book. Verse 30. Jesus claims to be God. Chapter 10, verse 30. He says this. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They wanted to kill him because he's claiming to be God. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. They knew when Jesus said that I and the Father are one, Jesus is making himself out to be God. And then Jesus, in his response, comes back and says this, down in verse 36, just a few verses below. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, whom the Father set apart and sent into the world, you are blasphemy because I said, I am the Son of God? There's a little tip off to next week. As we say, what does the Son of God mean? Look at back verse 33. You make yourself out to be God. Jesus said, what are you, you know, they say you're blaspheming because you make yourself out to be God. Now Jesus says, are you saying I'm blaspheming because I'm the son of God? See, the son of God equals with being God, God himself. And so if, if you do, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, the miracles so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This is amazing stuff. The book of John reveals Jesus to us in the fullness of his glory as God himself, as the promised coming Messiah. I'll just give you one more. Encourage you to read for yourself on this. But then in chapter 11, we see the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Remember that special miracle. And you look in verse 14, when Mary sent word to Jesus, and he's with his disciples, and he, was gonna, and he said, Let, let's go. And they said, uh, you know, we, we, can't, we can't go back there, Jesus. They're trying to kill you. And, and then, Jesus, you know, they said, but, but Lazarus is sleeping. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Sleeping was a figure of speech for dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there. He's dead. And because he's dead now, I'm glad he's dead because what I'm going to do is going to make you believe in me. And then we see further down, the response after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So in verse 41 of John 11, the same chapter. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
I know that you always hear me, but because the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, God, I'm glad this has happened. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad I wasn't here so that everybody that's here, when I'm going to do what's going to happen next, they're going to know and believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, and bind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. See guys, this is the book, this is what it's about. It's about Jesus' miracles proving who he is. And people seeing that, we're gonna see more of that next week. But uh, as Jesus' miracles prove who he is, and one of the questions we might ask is, how does it prove he is the Christ? We're gonna see next week a little bit more about the Son of God, which equals the claim to be God himself. But the Christ, we learned about this last fall, the Christ was the one who was expected to come from the Father, who was coming into the world to be the king of the world and the savior of the world. So he was the one they had long expected and waited for. And what we see here is that Jesus proved to be that one by his miracles because his miracles were samplings of what the Messiah was gonna do when he came. They were a sampling of what the Christ, they were looking for a kingdom where the blind would see and the lame would walk and the deaf would hear. And, and so what we see here is, is when Jesus did his miracles, the reasons people say, could this be the Christ? Because they're starting to see happen exactly what the king of that kingdom said he would do when he would come. That's why these miracles were to prove that Jesus was the Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. In verse two, John the Baptist was in prison waiting to be beheaded. He had this ministry to come before the Messiah. And he was starting to maybe even question. He says, I, man, I hope I got this thing right. And in verse two of Matthew 11, when John, while in prison, heard of the works, the miracles of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the expected one? Are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting for to come for centuries that God promised was gonna to come to be the king and the savior of the world? Or should we look for someone else? And listen what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, go back to John and tell him, I am. Or just say, yeah, I'm him. But rather, you know, show and tell. Tell says something, show shows it. Jesus, rather than just telling him, he showed him. He said, let's show John the Baptist that I'm the Messiah. Because he said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. 
the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And what Jesus did here is he put together two different Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah when he came and he finished off with the one in Isaiah 61 about the poor will hear the gospel. And in Luke 2, we see where Jesus fulfilled that. And by the way, he fulfilled it because the poor and the blind and the lame in that passage were the people that were there. (laughs) You see, they, they didn't realize that the Spirit of God anointed them because they were spiritually poor, they were spiritually blind, they were spiritually lame, and Jesus came to heal them. But what Jesus also tied here is Isaiah 35, and I put it on a PowerPoint for you to see it. Because in the first part of this verse, this is what Jesus says. Encourage the exhausted, I'm sorry, not what Jesus said, what the prophet said encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble say to those with anxious hearts take courage fear not behold listen to this catch this your God will come who's Jesus he's God this is proof again the son of God is God himself Jesus is God because he says fear not Uh, You know, because God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. But he will save you. So he's referring to, as we know, is that time when Jesus returns and there'll be the judgment upon the nations and those that have rejected him. But he goes on to say this in verses five and six. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Jesus did the miracles of the Messiah who was God himself. These miracles were designed to prove to the people that Jesus is the Christ. (laughs) He is the son of God, he's God himself. And so, you know, I just want to take a moment on this. You know, a message on miracles can't help but raise the question in some people's minds, do miracles still happen today? I, this is not a whole message on that, but I want to uh, just take a side note. This, this would be worthy of one or two whole messages, but I want us to realize this. God does still do miracles today. But be discerning because not every miracle is from God. In fact, the scripture we saw in the Old Testament with Moses, magicians of Egypt did miracles. We see in the New Testament that people that didn't know Jesus did miracles We saw that false prophets did miracles. We see that the false prophet to come in the future is gonna do miracles. We see that the Antichrist is gonna do miracles and even demons do miracles. So we need to be careful and discerning every time a miracle happens and say, ah, that's God. We gotta be wise and we have to be discerning and we need to remember that the primary purpose of the miracles were to prove who Jesus was and to prove 
his messengers, the apostles and the message they brought, the word of God that we now have in our hands. So the primary purpose of miracles in the time of the gospel and the historical books were to prove, you know, again, that these were messengers sent from God and their message was from God. Look at, look at Matthew 24, 24. No, I'm sorry, I got it up here for you guys. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders, miracles, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Isn't that what Satan's all about? I mean, doesn't he appear as an angel of light? He's going to do miracles so people start to follow the message. Well, that was a miracle. Only God could do that. They must be. But you see, false Christ and false prophets arise and do miracles. And they deceive the people. Again, let me show you in Revelation 19, this would be in a PowerPoint, that the false prophet in the time to come. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. He performed miracles by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. The false prophet in the future is going to use miracles to deceive. And it says in Thessalonians that he will do miracles to deceive even the elect if that was possible. Even believers could be deceived by these miracles and signs that the false prophet and the Antichrist is going to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to be discerning. And we can't, you know, like the Bereans, they went home and they tested to see what, what Paul said if it was really what the word says. And we need to be very careful about getting excited about every miracle worker that comes down the street and holds some kind of campaign. We need to be careful about miracles. We need to walk very carefully. Say, is this really from God? And test it against the word of God with the spirit of God. But I said, yeah, God does do miracles though. Look at what Galatians uh, chapter 3 verse 5 says, So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Here he is in the book of Galatians. And now we're starting to see God does work miracles. He's still working miracles during the time of the book of Galatians. And what I see as I read the New Testament is a decrease in the external signs of the miracles which Jesus performed to prove that he was the Christ, the Son of God, and that he was the King of the kingdom, and he's got the power to bring in the kingdom. And he not only used those things physically to show that, but he also wanted to show what he can do spiritually because he gives sight to those that are spiritually blind, and he raises those that are spiritually dead. And those that are struggling with walking with Jesus, he gives spiritual feet to the lame. And so God still does work miracles today. Let me look at my notes for a second. I know there were things I wanted to say. And you know what? 
stop with me. We sang about some of this this morning. I don't know if we caught it, but if you listen to it, do you know that the whole Christian life is a miracle? If you've been born again, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's the result of a miracle. You are a miracle if you are saved because what does the scripture say? That we were spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. We are spiritually blind. Goes on to say that we were under the God of this world that Satan was, he was using his force and power to keep us in darkness. And you know what? As we learned on Easter Sunday, Jesus not only is gonna raise the dead in the future, he raises the dead right now. To be born again is a miracle. It's not the wisest thing you ever did. It's not the best choice you ever made. It was a miracle you experienced because God reached in your life and raised you from the dead and gave you the ability to recognize who he is and the heart to respond to it. That's a miracle. And you know, anytime we begin, continue to grow in Egypt, right, brother? What does scripture say in Romans 7? That even as believers, at the end of it, Paul said, wretched man that I am, who's gonna deliver me from this body of death? Sin still dwells in our bodies. And sin is like in Egypt, like a save master that takes us into bondage, and it's bigger and stronger than any man can deliver himself from. But in chapter eight, well, matter of fact, you finish chapter seven, right, man, them, who's gonna deliver me from this body? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're growing in Christ and there's less and less sin controlling you and you're becoming more and more like Jesus, that's a miracle. That's the result of a miracle. That's because God overcame the Egypt in your life and set you free and walked you out of it on a daily, regular basis. Amen, let's, thank you. I need you to thank you. Come back next week, please. <laughs> you know what, the, the scripture says this. No, the scripture doesn't say this. Howard Hendricks said this, he's not the scripture. But he said this in, in seminar, I remember this. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. If you read this book and you recognize what God calls upon our life, you can't help but say, I can't do this. But the good news is Jesus can. And that's why Galatians 2 says that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So guess what? My entire Christian life, moment by moment, is to be one of a miracle where the living God himself by his spirit has come and lived inside of me and now he's at work in me dismantling the, the flesh and he's building into me more and more of the life of Jesus so that hopefully the way that I think, the way that I talk, my attitudes, my habits, the list goes on and on, look more and more and more like Jesus day by day. The whole Christian life is a miracle. If you don't know that, if you don't believe that, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna try harder to live the Christian life. 
But when you recognize what God calls me to do, I can't do it. Then I trust God for a miracle. God, you got to do a miracle through me today. I can't do this. You got to do it. And the whole Christian life is a miracle. But you know, God still does do external miracles today. I want to tell you about two that happened here at Moraine Valley, and some, there's a number of elders that are still here that can verify it. I'm going to tell you about two different stories of women that came to Moraine Valley that had cancer. And um, verified by the medical doctors. And, and actually uh, seeking treatments, getting ready to go for treatments, seeking treatments. And, and so one of the women came to the elders and led to what the scripture says in James about those who are sick, call for the elders. And the elders prayed. And this woman, when she went back to the doctors and they were getting ready to do the procedures and did the medical test to get ready to do it, guess what? The cancer was gone. The doctor says, I don't get this. I don't understand this. It, all I know is that I've got the test right here in my files. I can show you, you got cancer and I'm looking at these tests and you don't have it. God healed this woman. There's another woman during the worship, worship team, be encouraged. It was during the worship time. I would have hoped it would have been during the preaching time, but it was during the worship time. And that she said as she was worshiping God, she felt the strange sensation in her body. Again, verified medical cancer. Went back to the doctor, the same story. God had cleansed her and healed her of the cancer. Now there's others that God hasn't. I understand that. God works sovereignty. Sometimes he chooses to glorify us through healing us. Sometimes he chooses to glorify us by taking us through the cancer. But our attitude is always to be the same like those three men who got caught in the fire. They got thrown in by Nebuchadnezzar, remember? And their response to Nebuchadnezzar is that God can deliver us and God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm not gonna worship you, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's gotta be our attitude. We gotta want God, you can do this and God, you will do it. But even if you choose not to, I'm still gonna worship you. And you know, as we close this morning, I can't think of a better way in worship team. I don't know if I gave you the right signals or not, but come on up. I can't think of a better way to close a message like this than to worship and thank our God as a miracle working God. Listen to what Psalm 136 says. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him alone does great wonders for his loving kindness is everlasting. God alone does great wonders. He does miracles. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to worship him. And maybe you got to trust him for some kind of miracle in your life. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's the miracle of being born again because I've never trusted Jesus before. Maybe it's the miracle of there's something in my life that's got me in Egypt and keep me in bondage and I need God to deliver me from that. Maybe it's actually a physical miracle of some kind of healing you need. Maybe it's the miracle of a job. I don't know what it is, but I want to encourage you this morning, the attitude of 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they went in the fire, said, my God can, my God will, but even if he doesn't, I'm gonna worship him. Let's worship the Lord.